When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat and walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Well, I don't know if you've prayed lament prayers before, but uh, if you have, you might know that they're incredibly exposing. So uh, you open yourself up to God, you pray this, and, and then you wait for God to work. And it can feel vulnerable, it can be anxiety-producing. Fortunately, that's what we're talking about in the series. So I'm just telling myself right now, like, oh, you're fine. You don't have anything to worry about. And that's what we talked about last week, is that truly God encourages us through Philippians 4 to not to be anxious about, to not worry about anything, or to not be anxious for anything. But in all things, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, to present our request to God. And then the peace of God will come over us. It will transcend our understanding and, and go beyond our imagination. And we're supposed to go, So if you have any, anything up here, just, So the last time I felt like I was right up here, I was, uh, I'm sure it was before, since this time, but one of the times that I felt this in a huge way was when I first got our, we adopted our dog, Tally. Now, if you haven't met Tally, Tally is a Springer Spaniel um, Setter Lab mix, and she is a bundle of energy. Um, our son asked for a brother, and he got a dog. So uh, I'll just stop there. But when Tally was with us for two days, I took her for a run in the park nearby here. And as I was running, um, I, this is a park with a lot of woods. I'd been there before, and you know I'm a pretty athletic guy. Uh, I just happened to not see this giant root that was you know, giant by like an inch and a half off the ground. And so I tripped and supermaned out like in the dirt all over, and the leash went out of my hand, and I got up a little slower than I'd like to admit, but as I'm on my hands and knees and brushing stuff off, all of a sudden I hear something in the bushes, and I know Tally hears it because she does this amazing point like she's a hunting dog or something. We think she's a hunting reject, but anyway, so she's pointing, and she's looking, and I'm like, Tally, stay, you know, and we've had her for two days, so she knows, stay, come and sit, sort of. So I'm like, stay, stay, and all of a sudden, this very large buck deer jumps out onto the trail and then darts into the woods, and then, like a puff of smoke, Tally is gone, like chasing after this animal. Leash everything, so the next 
hour, I'm walking, I'm jogging, I'm running, I'm calling out to her until I'm hoarse. I'm like, Tally, come back. Any sight or sound, I think, I'm yelling, nothing. I'm like, I lost the dog. I actually had to give up. And I just went home, I cleaned up, I got dressed for work, and I was convinced that there was no way that we were getting this dog back, that we'd had for two days, that my children and my family has fallen in love with. I did actually get the dog back, or more accurately, she found me, she got back to me. And the reason I tell the story is because I think that's the relationship, this is the part you have to catch, this is the relationship that some of us have with our thoughts. Yes, our thoughts are like energetic, untrained puppies that will chase after any distraction that jumps out in front of them. Okay, think about it. Think about the amount of distractions in our world. We've got nonstop breaking news. Love my mother-in-law, but she she's all the time. All the time. Like, and it's, it's not like a variety. Like, I'll, I'll listen to this news station, and then I'll watch this news station, and now I'll watch this. She's just in all one category, and like, it produces an immense amount of anxiety in her. Now, then we've got, we've got shows on Netflix, we've got shows on Hulu, we've got shows on Amazon, we've even got shows on this, this thing, this historic phenomenon known as cable TV, so you can watch it there. I mean, we've got hundreds, if not thousands, of music streaming options, and you can get these little wireless earbuds or these giant comfortable headphones, and it just makes it way too easy to always be listening to something. And in spite of all those things, I'm pretty sure almost every one of you, young or old, has something known as a cell phone or, if you know, a personal media device that has hundreds or thousands of apps or games, meaning that your mind can always be buzzing, or your phone can literally always be buzzing, but we've never been more distracted and less attentive in the history of humanity. So I think that makes it incredibly challenging to think about what we think about. So we're going to spend a little time on that today, because if we want to live fearless, we have to mind our minds. We have to learn to hold on to the right thoughts and then take captive the thoughts that try to actually capture us. So we started the series looking at Philippians, the fourth letter, or the fourth chapter of the letter to the people in Philippi, which is this coastal city off of Greece who were trying to believe and follow Jesus in the midst of the Roman Empire. And so these people had those around them were living in all of these different ways that were kind of contrary to the way that, that Paul was telling them to live. So they had to learn how to swim against the current of culture. So I think they can speak to where we're at. Because Paul was writing from prison. He was under house arrest. He was, most of the time, he was chained to a guard. And yet he had learned how to separate irrational anxiety from genuine concern. And he needed God's wisdom to do that too. So if you're sitting here going, well, what's the difference? Well, if you're, if you're someone who's you know, a little bit younger going, 
what if I don't get a 32 on my ACT? Then I might not get into a good grad, like undergraduate school, a prestigious one that I really, really want. And if I don't get into a prestigious undergrad school, then I might not get into the great grad school. If I don't get into the great grad school, how am I going to get a great job? And then I'll simply be nothing. So of course I'm anxious for nothing because I don't want to be nothing. That's needless anxiety. Genuine concern might be, am I engaging with the people around me? Am I learning not just knowledge, but wisdom from wise people? Am I learning to love God and love others and do my best in the midst of it? Or, you know, you're 20-something and you're texting your friends because you want to all go out to eat, and I, 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 IDK, where, where do you want to go? I'm not sure. What are you thinking? Well, that's, I don't know. That's why I asked you. This means, you know, that it's texting. Oh, let's ask so-and-so. So meanwhile, these rational thoughts are starting through your head, and then all of a sudden these irrational ones come in, like, well, maybe the group's not going like, to let you go because you didn't have a good idea, or you did have a good idea, but they didn't like your idea, so now you're worried that you're going to be left out, and so you know, you're kind of freaking out about it. That might be needless anxiety. Genuine concern could be, I'd like to find a place to eat, where I can have good food and good friends, where I can actually hear and interact with the people around me, where we might even have the courage to leave our cars in the, phone, in the car, phones in the car, or in our coats, you know, except for one to get a good shot of, you know, the dinner. And I don't have to be worried about what I'm missing out on. So, needless anxiety, genuine concern. And as we talked about last week, in order for us to be anxious for nothing, Paul tells us in Philippians 4, 6, and 7 that we have to ask God for what we need through prayer, supplication, thanksgiving. We let our requests be made known to God. We ask God for what we need. We thank him for how he's worked in the past, and then we worship him for who he is. This is the, the ingredients to give us peace. This peace, again, it transcends or surpasses comprehension. It guards our hearts and our minds. So if our minds are guarded, then why would we go to worry, fear, or anxiety? I ask myself that a lot, but usually when I'm anxious. And I think it's because I'm still learning how to hold on to the right thoughts and let go of the wrong thoughts, or because letting go doesn't work, actually wrestling them and trying to capture them because they're trying to capture me. That's, I think, what Paul's trying to get at when he continues his encouragement to the church in Philippi. In verse 8 and 9, it says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. In fact, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with it. Not only will we have the peace of God, but the God of peace will be with us. So Paul gave them a list of, of ways and things that we could hold in our minds, things that are true and noble and right and pure and lovely, 
admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. So, as you consider that list, consider what you hold in your mind. Like, how do you think about what you think about? Would you say that 100% of the time, you think about things that are true and noble and right and pure and lovely and excellent and admirable? 90% of the time? 50% of the time? 25% of the time? And you might say, well, I just, I can't, I can't think like that. Or you might say, I have the spiritual gift of criticism, which is not a spiritual gift. Um, you might say, I'm a realist. Yep, we need realists. But if you study the lives of truly fearless people, you will find out that they all have a similar mindset. Not that they all thought the same way or that they all came from the same places of, places of privilege, but that they all set their minds on excellent things. Regardless of their circumstances, they knew how to think the right way or hold on to the right kind of thoughts. King David, for example, is someone who's called a human after God's own heart. And he prayed in Psalm 139, 23 and 24, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. That is a prayer to transform your life. God, is there anything that I'm anxious about, anything that offends you? Change my heart in this. See, that's what David was asking. He's asking God to transform his heart and his mind and his soul. He's asking the Spirit of God to lead him and change him. That's exactly what Paul tells the believers in Rome, in the 12th chapter of Romans, to not copy Romans 12.2. Don't copy the behaviors and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you'll learn God's will for you his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Let God transform you. Let God, passive, transform you, active. It's this active submission. We change the way we think, not by getting stronger, not by working harder, not by attending the Power of Positive Thinking seminars, but by allowing the Spirit of God to change our minds to focus our minds on what's godly and on what's God. That's what changes our mind. And if I focus on what's very good, what God calls very good, I find that my faith grows bigger and stronger. But when I focus on my fears, then my faith weakens, it atrophies, doubts creep in, my situation suddenly seems darker, Maybe one way to say it is your focus feeds your faith or your fears. And I don't, I don't always like to, I don't like to go into binary because I know that there's always a depends. But just consider it. Your focus either feeds your faith or your fears. There, there are several examples in the Bible where you find this. Uh, Barb gave us a great example in Matthew 14. This story where The disciples are again in a boat. Again, the winds and the waves come up and they're afraid and then Jesus comes walking on the water and then they freak out. And then, you know, Jesus is like, fear not. 
Don't you love it when the Spirit of God tells you to not do this exact thing you're doing? Maybe it's just me. But my favorite disciple, Peter's like, Lord, if it's you, let me come out on the water because that'll prove that, that I'm not afraid or, you know, that it's you and I'm not afraid, maybe. And so Jesus, come. And I don't know, you cut, Barb did a great job of reading this. Like, it's stormy and all of a sudden then when this dialogue starts happening between Peter and Jesus, it's almost like the storm recedes into the background. Maybe it did, maybe it didn't. Come, and Peter gets out of the boat and starts walking on the water. And maybe, and, is, and when he does, as long as he is focused on Jesus, he's full of faith. It's when he takes his focus away from Jesus that he becomes very fearful. And you might be skeptical about, like, well, did this actually happen? I mean, scientific, physically, can he really walk on the water? If I have no reason to believe that it didn't happen. But if you're skeptical about it, can you set that aside and think about what it represents? That for a few moments, Peter was living above the wind and the waves. He was inhabiting a place where darkness, adversity, and even physical facts couldn't take him down. When I think about what it represents, I think that happens all the time to people in the right mindset. They can be in the, two people can be in the exact same situation that can seem so dark, yet one is living above the darkness and the adversity and the circumstance. The other is wallowing in it. When he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. Now, catch that. He saw the wind. I, I like, I see a few faces of, hmm. Yeah, because you can't see the wind. I can't see the wind. I can see the effects of the wind, but I can't see the wind which in my mind is genius. Some of your translations might say when he saw the wind and the waves because they know, well, that doesn't make sense, so let's put the waves in so it at least makes sense. No, the, I think the writers do this on purpose. They, they leave mystery and ambiguity so it causes us to go, hmm, I don't get it because we often think about things that we don't get and God wants us to think about his word. I think it's genius because in order to see the wind, I have to concentrate on what the wind is doing. It's not just that Peter glanced down and saw the wind or the waves. I think it's there because he saw the wind, he concentrated on it, then he became afraid, then he began to sink, then he cried out. But for a moment, darkness, adversity, physical facts could not take him down. What thoughts do you hold in your mind? Like maybe you have a performance review at work. I'm sure this never happens to any of you. Like your boss comments on how you've improved throughout the year. You know you've improved this year. She notes six ways in which you're doing an incredible job and you're an asset to the company. But she did give you one area of improvement. What do you hold on to? Or 
uh, you have a child. And uh, if your child is older, then they brought home a report card. If your child is still a child, they open parent porthole up online and psh, six A's and one D come up. What do you talk about first? The majority of parents, like far majority, talk about the D first. Imagine what thoughts that child is holding on to. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, whatever's excellent or worthy of praise, think about such things. Hold those thoughts. So what repeatedly fills your mind? Do you let constant news in? I'm, I'm learning that saying, Alexa, give me my news brief, does not actually help me start my day well. <laughs> Do you have a complaining coworker who always stops by to say something negative? Does that actually make you anxious or make you calm? I remember a couple summers ago when um, we were watching one of our children's athletic events, like all the other parents, and this particular parent would have a complaint every time throughout this sporting event. It was either about the coach or the team or the officials, and finally, I'm sitting here, my wife's sitting here, this person is sitting there. Finally, my wife turns to her, this other person and goes, so-and-so, I really like you but I hear so much negativity at work that I can't tolerate it in any other parts of my life. So I'm gonna go sit over here, and when you could stop being negative, I would love to talk to you again. You never have to wonder what my wife is thinking. <laughs> she doesn't tolerate it out of me either. If I start going down a negative road that I think is just being realistic or, you know, adding value to the conversation, she's like, is that what you really want? And if I say yes, then she looks at me funny. If I say no, then she's like, well, then why do you say it? And if it's really bad, she'll just be like, that's a lie from the pit of hell. You need to tell Satan to get out of your head or stop talking to you. And I'm like, dang. She's a good lady. And it, but when you think about it, if you say something that might be negative or take a thought that you know, repeatedly rolls around, add, and that's exactly what I want, to the end of it, and then see if you'll still keep saying it. Oh, I'm going to fail this test, and that's exactly what I want. My coworker's never going to finish that project that's due for us, and that's exactly what I want. I'm never going to find someone significant for my life, and that's exactly what I want. Our marriage is never going to get any better than this, and that's exactly what I want. I'm so worried about my kid. They're, they're three months behind where everyone else should be, and that's exactly what I want. It's a pretty good test. I've been trying it out. Because I think... It's true that your focus either feeds your faith or your fears. 
Sometimes people call this an inner dialogue, and sometimes we're not even aware of our inner dialogue until someone reflects it back to us. Now, I just happen to have a very straightforward person that's near me that you know, helps me reflect this back, but I also have a group of people that are, well, I'm in a spiritual direction group. If you want to know more about spiritual direction, Darlene Anderson is a spiritual director, Leanne Esch is a spiritual director. It's a phenomenal idea. Um, it's a practice of helping you hear where God is at work in your life or might be at work in your life and just to be attentive to that. So a few years ago, I started doing this, and then I started with a group of people that quickly became my friends, and about a year into the group, one of the people says, you know, my thought life has not been healthy or helpful. And we just stopped, and we listened. And then we asked some questions, and then we listened, and we didn't give any advice, which is probably the greatest gift of spiritual direction. People who listen and ask questions, but then listen. And through that session, not only did my friend find peace, but I had a really, really helpful phrase for when I, I didn't have the willpower to hold the right thoughts. Is that what you really want, Rob? No, it's not. I don't think my thought life has been very helpful or healthy. Well, what are you going to do about that? Actually, God's word tells us what to do about it. But think about your inner dialogue. Do you, are you someone who's like, you wake up with joy and you're like, good morning, Lord. We are ready. I'm ready for this day. I thank you for giving me a day, new day. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I have every resource I need in you. Yes. Or are you someone who's like, good Lord, it's morning. I can't believe I have to get up again. I have to go to my dumb job. I don't know how I'm going to make it through the day. Snooze. Good Lord, it's morning. Or, good morning, Lord. Do you say, I'm, I'm, I have way too much to do. I'm never going to get it done. And that's exactly what I want. I'm never going to be good enough, Mom. Look at that homemade cake that someone made perfect. I didn't even take the little market pantry sticker off those cookies. <laughs> or, I'll never change. I'm so undisciplined. Not good with people. Not smart enough. Nobody likes me. Okay, I might be exaggerating a little, but I think we all have little tiny phrases that we think are harmless that are actually negative, unhealthy, and unhelpful. So instead of trying to let them go or even hold on to them, will you grab them and take them captive because they're holding you around the neck like a grade school bully? Second Corinthians 10 tells us what we can do. Second Corinthians 10, three through five says that though we are human, we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly ones, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps us or keeps people from knowing God. We capture the rebellious thoughts and we teach them to obey Christ. 
Paul tells us here that we have godly weapons. We don't have our strength or our willpower or we have nothing. We have God's weapons. Some thoughts come from God. Some thoughts come from the enemy. Some thoughts, we're not sure where they are. Or maybe some I posted yesterday, we thought we killed something in our life and like a zombie, it like comes back up. I've done enough personality indicators to know that on the red, green, blue, yellow, I am red. On the um, Winnie the Pooh characters, I'm Tigger. On the uh, Myers-Briggs, I'm an extroverted, intuitive, feeling perceiver. I am a maximizer and winning others over and an activator on the strength finder. I love people. I love to get stuff done. And one of my like, fatal flaws is that I have a tendency to be a people pleaser. I've done a lot of psychological work and soul work to try and kill that, and I thought it was dead. And then, like, every few years, all of a sudden, like, boom, and it comes up sideways. It looks different, kind of like real zombie. Well, real zombie, you know? It's like, <laughs> well, why, why haven't you finished that? Well, I want to make sure it's, it's awesome. Why? Are you afraid of, like, failing? No, it's not afraid of failing. I just don't want that person to think I'm dumb. So you want to please them. Oh, darn. No, we don't have to think like that. We don't have weapons that the world has. We have God's weapons. Because God has the power to destroy whatever that false thought is, whatever that argument is, whatever that thing that you tell yourself or someone told you in the past. You don't have to hold it any longer. You can grab it and put it into submission. That's what God is saying here. What spirit, so think about what you hold that maybe isn't healthy or helpful. And then think about what's a spiritual truth that will take that captive. So for me, one of mine is that I'm unconditionally loved by an unlimited God. That's what I say. God, I thank you that I am unconditionally loved by you and I make time for you to just enjoy your presence. I love people. I don't need to please them. That's a spiritual truth that's about God's word and about me that I tell myself. I love people. I don't need to please them. I want to please you, God. God, you have called me, and you call those, you equip those you call. So I am equipped for everything I need. In fact, my name in Hebrew means enough, and in Christ, I have more than enough. That is a spiritual truth that I use to knock down the things in my life that want to take me down, that want to capture me, that want to shrivel me up. What spiritual truth do you need? I have in Christ, God gives me every resource I need. I have the Holy Spirit. I have the Bible. I have prayer. I have other believers. I have all that I need. Do you need that one? Take that one to the bank. How about the spirit that is inside of me is greater than the spirit that is in the world? Or Jesus is my Lord and my Savior. I can trust him in all that I think, say, and do. I don't have to worry about where to go or what to do. I can trust Christ in that. Or I can cast all my cares on Christ because he cares for me. That's a spiritual truth that will knock those things down and take them captive that try to capture you. God, you will keep in perfect peace those whose thoughts are fixed on you. Isaiah 26, 3. Am I fixed on you, God? Will you give me that peace that I need right now? I don't have to be anxious about anything. I can have my thoughts fixed on you because your focus feeds your faith or your fears. 
And you might not be able to control the thoughts you have, but you can hold what you can control what you hold. I'll say that again. You can't always control the thoughts you have, but you can control the ones to hold. So what are you going to hold on to? So I love my dog, Tally. I'm so glad that she came back to us. But I had to teach her who was in control when we would run so that she wouldn't chase deer in the woods, but she would often run in front of me and then dart this way and that way. So I'd stumble, and if I didn't just fall down, then I'd stop, and then I'd shorten the leash, and I'd put her right by my side, and I'd say, Tally, heel. And then I'd look at her, which was a little bit the way my wife looks at me when I say something negative. Like, not total like, animosity, but just a little sternness, like loving sternness, heel, and then we'd start walking, and then we'd start jogging, and then we'd eventually run, and I'd start with that very tight so that she knew that she was supposed to run right here. And then eventually, I could lengthen that leash, but it was letting her know, like, I am in control of you when we go running. I love you, so I want you to run, but I don't want you to run in front of me and cause me to fall over. In the same way, that's what we do with our rebellious thoughts. We teach them to obey Christ. So what's that rebellious thought? Do you just need to say it in the name of Jesus? I take that rebellious thought captive. That is not who I am anymore. I am a child of the Son of the living God who loves me and died for me and has a purpose for my life that has given me peace, that's given me this word, that's given me goodness. I have fellowship with the Holy Spirit and with other believers. I have everything I need. What do you need to take captive? Say it loud, often, often. If God's for me, who can be against me? What spiritual truth do you need to take those things that are trying to take you captive? In a moment, we're going to have communion. And I just invite right now the Spirit of God to whisper whatever you need. I pray that this wouldn't hit you with judgment or condemnation, but with a a holy and gracious inspection. What thoughts are you holding on to? What spiritual truth do you need to take those thoughts captive? God, will you help us to hold the right thoughts? I pray that you would speak right now that we would recognize that you are with us, that you are real, that you love us, that your grace sustains us, that your peace is always available to us, that you are an ever-present help in times of trouble, that you are abundantly available for helps in times of need. And for those right now that are just serious about living for you, I pray that you would be abundantly available for them. For those that want to be authentic and honest and vulnerable, God, that they would find a small group or that their small group that they're in would be a place that this could happen. God, that when people sit around a table or in a a living room and they open your word, that they would be able to also open their mouth and say, here's where I'm fearing and here's where I'm weak. Here's where I need you, God. Here's where I take myself down. That they would feel the prayers of those people. That they would feel the love of those people. That 
that you would be able to help us to declare that truth that we need, that would change our minds, that would transform us into your image. That we would not do it on our own strength, God, but that we would let you change the way we think. God, by holding the right thoughts. God, as we hear your invitation to communion, I pray that this would be a time where you would speak to us and we could declare our love for you. And for those that that aren't sure that you love them today, may they know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God, the way that you showed your love is that you sent your one and only son to live a perfect life, to die for our sin. And you raised not only Jesus to life, but you raised us to life so that anyone who believes in you will not perish, but God, they will have everlasting life. May we receive your life today. Amen.